It's time for another edition of Around the Nest 2.0 Season 2. It's Friday, June 23rd, as we get set to kick off the second half across minor league baseball. And as always, great to be with you. Tyler Zickel from the Vancouver Canadians, high A affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays, joined in the nest today by Chris Valentine from Single A Dunedin and making his first appearance in the nest this year, our old friend Bob Lippman from Double A New Hampshire, who comes to us from Somerset, New Jersey, or somewhere nearby in the Garden State. And here's to hoping we can get the AAA voice of the Buffalo Bisons, Pat Malacaro, joining us as well. Pat, one-man band at the top of the ladder. He is a guy who is somehow always busy and somehow manages to knock it out of the park every time. Gentlemen, good day. We're going to get right into it on this edition of Around the Nest. Hard to believe it's already the end of June. We've got a full half under our belts. Of course, the Canadians clinched the first half crown with a win over Hillsborough on Sunday at the Nat. That was super fun. They certainly wrapped up the first half in a big way last night here in Eugene, Oregon. A 13-2 win, season-high 17 hits. We've got some high-A questions coming to us from at McDougJerry. That's Jerry Mack on Twitter, but we'll get to that in a bit. Let's start at the lowest rung of the ladder as we welcome back Mr. Chris Valentine, his second installment here on The Nest. Chris, good day to you. Loving the tie-dye Dunedin shirt. It pairs quite well with that terrific mustache, which is back again two weeks later. How's everything going from down in the FSL? Good. It also pairs really well with uh, a working voice. And uh, <laughs> first uh, first episode where my voice is not going to sound as bad as it's ever sounded, really. Uh, really happy to be back for a second one. It's minor league grinder lifestyle. You know, you just got to find a way if the voice is not working, you just got to find a way to push through. You did just that. We've been tuning in over the last couple of weeks, and it's been so great to have you in the fold, getting your play-by-play perspective, no pun intended, about all that's been happening down south with the DJs. So with that in mind, let's get right to it. Give us your state of the club from that 30,000 foot view. Uh, yeah, right now uh, it's kind of the same thing that we talked about uh, about two weeks ago with uh, when hitting is there, pitching isn't. When pitching is there, hitting isn't. It's been more so that the hitting still is struggling to come around uh, consistently at least. They're, they have put up a couple couple odd numbers in uh, on the schedule. But, yeah, it's um, pitching has been dependable, uh, at least good enough to win ball games. But the hitting's just been hit or miss, really. Um Apart from that, it seems like uh, a couple of the injuries and a couple issues that we had with pitching in the uh, month of May have uh, corrected itself. Uh, A lot of guys are back from uh, the IL or back from uh, some not typical performances that they've been putting up uh, over the course of last year and a half, uh, really, with guys who have been here. Um, It it seems like things are coming together uh, pretty well. It's just waiting on everything to click at at the plate. Let's talk a little bit about the Clearwater Threshers. And the only reason I want to bring it up is because it's a tall task for any team in the FSL going up against the Phillies single-A affiliate over the course of this first half. They basically ran away with the first half title. A terrific team, very talented. And it seems like every three weeks, the DJs are squaring up against the Threshers. So when you're going up against a team like that, how have you seen the DJs respond? There's been a couple of really tight games, a couple of incredible wins for the DJs over the Threshers, but then there's also been a few games that have been boat races going the wrong way. So how do you <clears throat> view the DJs when they have to take on such a talented team? Well, some that I've been talking about on, on each broadcast against Clearwater, you know exactly what they're going to do. Uh, they're going to 
the top three in their order are all insanely fast. They are natural base dealers. So the, your task going into the game is to get those three guys out and then deal with the power that they have backloaded in the rest of the lineup later on. Now, once you, if you start issuing walks, free passes, start hitting guys at the top of the lineup, they're going to make you pay. They're going to get themselves in scoring position. Uh, and then those bigger bats that are later on down in the four, five, six holes, they're going to come through most of the time. Uh, they're really good at the plate with runners in scoring position. Um, so it's really just keeping the top third off the bases. Um, and you can tell right away uh, in the course of the game, really in the first inning, they have scored a ton of runs in the first inning against us this year, uh, including last night, a uh, couple of days ago um, for game one of the series on Tuesday, uh, four out of the first five reach face, and then the six hitter hit a grand slam. So They'll put you behind the eight ball if you give them the opportunity. So it's all about working through the first third. And then from then on, you can get into your groove. I want to talk about some individual performers of late. A guy who I've gotten to know pretty well over the last couple of seasons, Glenn Santiago, who has spent two mm-hmm. stints with the Canadians in 2022, making his high A debut, was with the C's to start this year. But just based on the numbers in high A, especially with all those prospects on the top30mlb.com Blue Jays list who were with the Canadians and are still here in Vancouver, he had a chance to go down to the FSL, play every day, and it seems like he's been a guy that the offense has been able to rally around. Yeah, um, he's been a little bit, he's been struggling a little bit as of late. Uh, the month of May wasn't too kind to him, but he's starting to pick it back up, uh, back to what we'd expect from him. Um, he's a guy that is going to give you a consistent AB pretty much every time he's up. Uh, he's good at fighting off pitches. He's good at trying to keep the strikeouts to a minimum. He had, in that month of May, there were a couple games where he had two, three, four strikeouts in a game. Um, but that's really cut down in this month of June. It seems like he's got a lot more comfortable after that little uh, two to three week string of tough ABs. But yeah, he's, he's a consistent at bat. You know exactly what you're going to get with him. He's got that power that can show itself when it's needed. Um, He's a gap to the gap kind of guy. He can put something into the right center field gap, a left center field gap, and he's going to make pitchers pay if, if you leave anything over the plate. Um, and I've definitely been seeing a lot more of that as of late. Before we talk about pitchers, any other guys who stand out to you at the dish of late since we spoke two weeks ago? Of course, last episode, we were talking about Tucker Toman and Emmanuel Beltre, a couple of top 30 prospects. Tucker Toman, I think number five these days on that MLB.com list. Who else has been standing out at the dish since we last spoke two weeks ago? Yeah, the, the biggest one, and I really am glad you asked that question because I love this kid so much. He's a, he's a great guy. Uh, Ryan McCarty. Ryan McCarty in this month of June has been our best hitter, uh, batting over 300 uh, in this month. He started off the the month of June batting 235. He's gotten his average up to 261. Uh, he's hit four home runs in this month. They all came in the Bradenton series, and in that series, it seemed like every time he was getting a piece of the ball, it was going a mile. Um, and they weren't just uh, wall scrapers. There were a couple of tape measure shots uh, in that Bradenton series, uh, and it was my first time calling games of that series. So I got a little bit of the rundown from uh, their broadcaster. Um, and he's like, he told me that it's tough to hit the ball out in that park. Uh, the wind does usually go out, but it just 
for some reason, the ball doesn't travel in that park. And Ryan McCarty proved that completely wrong. Um, but yeah, he's, he's been insanely good at the plate. He's been patient. Uh, he hasn't been striking out a ton. Um, he's just consistently getting the bat on the ball. And most of the time he's barreling it. I was reading one of your recaps and seeing Ryan McCarty's name jump out at me. Certainly a guy we haven't spent a lot of time talking about here on Around the Nest and maybe somebody who doesn't get that shine. But leave it to you, Chris, to get the shine on the guys who deserve it. And that is the case with Ryan. Now, on the mound, a couple of other guys who have stood out to me from keeping up with the DJs, Rafael Ohashi and Alex Amalfi, a couple of great outings of late, a couple of guys as well who have had some stops and starts, no pun intended, of course. What have they been doing so well on the slope? Yeah, so I'll start with Ohashi. Uh, he he posted a pretty tough month of May, uh, 9.0 ERA in uh, in five starts, 22 innings pitched. He gave up 22 runs, all earned. Uh, his biggest issue was leaving balls up in the zone, and he was getting getting hit pretty hard on them. Uh, he gave up quite a few home runs in that month. I believe it was eight. Uh, and over his last three starts, uh, he's given up just 10 hits over 14-plus. Uh, uh, only one's been a home run, and it was a solo shot, so it didn't really hurt him that much. But he's definitely – it looks like he's got that confidence back out on the mound that he didn't show in that month of May. Um, his fastball's working. His slider is back to where it was in April. Um, and he's really been able to shake tougher plays off. It seemed like he maybe they were getting to him a little bit, and he kept thinking about it uh, in, in May, but – so far this month, anytime he's given up anything unlucky, he just shakes it off and he's good to go. Just focus on the next guy, get the next guy out. And that's what he's been doing. Um, with Amalfi, Amalfi spent a little bit of time on the IL. Um, I want to say about two weeks. And then he came back out of the bullpen. Uh, I want to say his second outing out of the pen, coming back from the IL, he debuted a curveball against uh, Fort Myers. I talked to him quite a bit. He didn't tell me that that curveball was coming and boy, was I surprised and boy, was that a good pitch. Uh, he went two perfect innings in that game, striking out five. And I want to say four out of the five were on that curveball. Uh, fastball slider curveball changeup is what he's got in his repertoire. And he, he broke that curveball out and was confusing every mighty muscle hitter that came up. Uh, since then, uh, he made his first start uh, since he came off the IL uh, this Tuesday. And that is when Clearwater put up that uh, that odd number in the first inning. Uh, his command wasn't there to start off the game, and he left a curveball up, and uh, their catcher made him pay for it. But after that, after that moment, he went 11 up, 11 down to finish off his day. Four innings pitched, the five runs. So again, it's a it's a guy that has confidence. Um, he didn't let that he didn't read, let that grand slam like stick in his mind. He went right back out got outs and he looked really, really good apart from that point one inning of work. It's funny. I think the casual fan might not think about this in terms of minor league baseball and development over winning, right? So you've got a bad first mm-hmm. inning, but then he goes out there and sets down 12 in a row. That's a great outing for a single A pitcher. Yes, you didn't want to give up those runs in the first inning. And if you were a big leaguer, that would be an issue. But your job right now as a minor leaguer in the Blue Jays system is to continue to work on your weaknesses, expand your strengths, and get yourself ready to get to the next level and make those incremental improvements year in and year out. It's interesting, after the Canadians clinched on Sunday, of course, we posted posted it all across Canadian social media. And in the comments on Instagram, people are saying, well, what's the point now? Like why they've clinched. This seems so early. Well, what's the point of the season now? 
But the idea behind the first half title and the second half title is to give those teams who start hot, who are likely going to promote a lot of those guys who made them so good in the first half, like Clearwater, we hope, they mm-hmm. leave. And then in the second half, it changes the landscape of the respective leagues. We'll talk about that in AA New Hampshire, of course. The Canadians have already punched their ticket. The DJs with a lot of talent to be able to chase that second half title. And another guy who might be a big factor in that is somebody who's on that top 30 prospect list as well, Irv Carter, who we've not really talked about on Around the Nest. And based on just looking at his player page and checking out his stats, nothing really jumps out at you, but Blue Jays very excited about his raw stuff. He was supposed to go pitch in the NCAA for Miami coming out of Florida, but then decided to sign for an above-slot contract and now is still trying to figure it out at the lowest level of the full-season ladder. What's been your impression of Irv so far? Uh, with Irv, uh, so in the beginning of the year, uh, his first three outings, he was struggling with his command early on. Um, with uh, with his first start in the month of June in Clearwater, he went three innings, gave up just one hit, no runs, uh, and then followed that up in Bradenton with his best start that I've ever seen him in uh, in a DJ uniform. Uh, could have easily gone five innings, but they stopped him at four and two thirds to give Fitz Stadler. Uh, an up and down out of the bullpen in his rehab stint. Uh, but he went 4.2, no hits. Uh, he looked electric. Um, well, strikeout numbers weren't there in that game, but a lot of soft contact. And he showed his athleticism on the mound a couple times uh, in uh, in some nice defensive plays in that outing. Um, his last time out uh, on Sunday against Lakeland, struggled a little bit with command and he paid for it early on. There's also an error in the field that he committed that, uh, accounted for the unearned runs that he allowed. Um, but after that, he went another inning, looked a lot better, looked like he just shook, uh, shook it off and uh, kept going, kept grinding. His pitch count got really high in that first inning, which is why he only went two. Um, but yeah, he, he he looks like he's definitely found something, especially with his changeup. His changeup has looked phenomenal. Uh, that out of the right, right-handed approach, it darts down and into right-handed bats and it darts down and away from uh, from left-handed bats, and it seems like nobody can pick it up. It, it's got a lot of good movement. It's got a great arm slot, um, and at the moment, nobody's seeing it. And good to be at the complex or nearby the complex to be able to get into the state-of-the-art pitching lab to continue to develop mm-hmm. those weapons. And the last weapon I want to talk about, as much as you can share, of course, because one, none of us are doctors. Two, none of us are behind the scenes the same way in the training room and with the development staff on the player development side and the high performance side of things. But what about Brandon Barriera? What are you hearing about whether or not he may be back soon or can you give us any updates on Brandon as he currently is on the injured list? Um, I don't really have a timetable with uh, with Barriera. All I know is that he... I talk to him pretty much every day in the clubhouse. He feels good. Uh, he's still throwing his bullpens. Um, right now he's saying his arm feels good. Uh, can't wait to get back out, but obviously not a doctor. Sure. Um, and I don't, don't typically like to ask about the specifics of an injury unless it's uh, a guy that you've really developed a good relationship with and he knows you're not going to air his dirty laundry out. Sure. But yeah, with, uh, with Brandon, I know that he is feeling good. Uh, he can't wait to get back out there and, I I feel like it'll be pretty soon. And by all accounts, yours and others, great clubhouse guy as well. Seems to be somebody who, despite being just 19 years old, coming out of high school, understands the responsibilities that have been placed on him and also seems to keep it pretty light. Similar to a guy like Ian Churchill, who I've had a chance to get to know a little bit since Mm -hmm. you uh, told us two weeks ago he was going to be a guy we were going to love here in Vancouver. 
You were so right. He is incredible and was phenomenal last night as well in relief. He's been great to watch on the field and great to get to know off the field too. I actually met his parents uh, last night prior to the game. They had booked the trip right before he got promoted. I uh, couldn't cancel anything. So they, uh, they stopped by, had a nice conversation with them. Great people Ian, a fantastic guy, really happy for him. We miss him down here. Well, before we let you get to the batting cage, I know you've got a hard out to be able to get to the cage <laughs> and get after it. Chris, tell us where, as always, we can find your broadcast and stay up to date on all things DJs. Well, oh, com is the easiest way. You can also get to us on the first pitch app, go to Deneen Blue Jays on after you hit the, uh, little headset icon in the top right. Uh, and then follow us on socials, Deneen Blue Jays, uh, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And we just added to TikTok. We haven't promoted it yet because we don't have much content, but stuff will be in the works. I'm excited to see you do some TikTok dances. <laughs> I don't know about dances, but uh, I'm more than happy to make a fool of myself on camera. <laughs> That's one of the many reasons why we love one of the newest members of Around the Nest, Chris Valentine. Chris, as always, really appreciate your great insights from the lowest rung of the full season minor league ladder. Get into the cage. Get working, my friend, and go DJs in the second half. We'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. I got a lot riding on this. <laughs> Chris Valentine from Single A Dunedin. Really good to have him for his sophomore episode of Around the Nest. He's off to the batting cage. And before we check in with Bob Lipman in Double A New Hampshire, Couple of quick questions, Bob, that I got for single or rather high A Vancouver. Jerry Mack on Twitter asking about Gabby Martinez, Desan Brown, and Kay Doty. Three guys, Bob, who you are going to get to know sooner rather than later. But I'll say this. Jerry asked, G-Mart seemed to be warming up, but has gone off form again. Any specific things getting him out? Well, last night here in Eugene, he finished a triple shot of the cycle, hit a two-run home run, his fifth of the year. And this is a guy at just 20 years old who is back in high A with the Canadians after making his debut with the Seas last year down the stretch alongside Rainer Nunez. Gabby was great. A couple of big hits, hit for average, hit for power. Had a hot start in 2023, but as Jerry alluded to, he has certainly cooled a little bit but we're starting to see flashes of that same guy we got to know at the second half of last year's season. I think two-strike approach has been a little off for Gabby. He is an old-school two-strike approach guy where he chokes up on the bat. He widens his stance. You can tell he starts to hold his arms a little bit more over the plate to try and cover that outside edge. But he has been fooled by sliders away, especially against right-handers, and a guy who can hit the ball to all fields with some authority, but he seems to expand his zone a little bit and some of those two-strike compete mentalities not quite where they need to be. But I'm excited to see what Gabby can do in the second half. And the other question from Jerry is about Desan Brown and Cade Doty. Who am I most optimistic about? Well, Cade has been great in his first full season as a pro after getting signed as a second rounder out of LSU last year. Very consistent. He was the team leader in RBI until Alex DeJesus, the number 21 Blue Jays prospect, hit two home runs for the second time in the last two series last night, including a grand slam. He had seven RBI, so DeJesus is now the team RBI leader. But Doty has been great with runners in scoring position, batting north of 300 in those spots, driving in runs with some authority, also working his walks after the strikeout numbers were a little elevated over the first six weeks of the year. So Cade's an exciting guy to be uh, really optimistic about. And Desan Brown, who really played his way into a top 30 prospect consideration last year, had a slow start, 
he is a guy who certainly warms up as the weather does. And over the last 11 games, he's batting 400 plus. He's hit three home runs, including a Father's Day three run homer that proved to be the difference on Sunday in the clinching game. So his bat and his power starting to emerge. And in center field, he is a lock. This is the guy who can go chase it with the best of them. Arguably the most athletic and fastest player in the Blue Jays minor league system these days. He really knows how to go get it and is a guy who is certainly uh, almost a guaranteed out if the ball is hit anywhere near him in center field. He's going to get there. He's going to glide to it, camp underneath, and make the catch. So certainly some guys in Gabby Martinez, Desan Brown, Cade Doty, Alex DeJesus, who have been doing quite well. And on the pitching side, last night, number nine Blue Jays prospect Adam Mako, who was the big minor league piece in that Teoscar Hernandez trade with Seattle in the offseason, he had his finest start since joining the organization. His first quality start, Six innings in which he gave up two runs on a two-out, two-run homer in the bottom of the first, and then put up five consecutive zeros, six strikeouts, one walk. And of course, after going two innings last week and three innings the week prior, to go six strong really was a long overdue emergence of the talent that really makes the Blue Jays excited about a guy who's just 22 years old and has some Canadian connections. Of course, he has family in Stony Plain, Alberta. After they relocated from Europe, he makes his home in Vancouver and is certainly someone who is excited to be representing the entire country, both as a pro and just as a resident. Certainly really well-deserved performance last night. And we can go on and on about high A Vancouver, but we've got Bob Lippman on the nest for the first time this year. Bob, cheers to you. Garden State action for AA New Hampshire 14 innings that ended on a walk-off balk for the Somerset Patriots, the Yankees affiliate, last night. How are things going from uh, the lower of the two upper minor levels, if you will? You know, uh, first of all, it's great to be back with you and, and to see you, Zick, and to talk uh, Blue Jays baseball. And uh, how about if I told you that you know, Somerset is in a uh, playoff race here trying to go to the wire and put away the Portland Sea Dogs. And in three games, the Fisher Cats have held Somerset to eight hits and very well could be 3-0 and in this series. Won the first two games with spectacular defense and pitching. Last night, they got more great pitching, and then, unfortunately, just couldn't push anything ahead, and we ended up losing on that walk-off balk in the bottom of the 14th. By the way, the uh, it is the longest minor league game of the year, and the longest minor league game, 14 innings, since the end of 2021. Wow. Uh, you'd love to win a game like that, especially yeah. when you score two runs in the top of the 11th and then the two-run homer in the bottom of the inning tied it. That set up the historic 14-inning marathon. Uh, certainly no uh, longest game in minor league history that took place in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. I think back in like the 80s, I think Wade Boggs was a part of that. You may remember better than I, but uh, certainly lots of good despite the frustration of last night. And one of those wins, the Fisher Cats won with just one hit. That was the first time that ever happened in uh, in team history. Uh, that was the Wednesday night game. The Fisher Cats had won two to one, and they only had one hit, and the one hit didn't figure in the scoring inning. So, you know, it's uh, baseball's a crazy game. Last night there was so much to unpack from that game, from uh, a catcher's interference uh, call to uh, the Somerset manager and pitching coach both being ejected in the game, and they're Former manager happened to be in the house, so Dan Fiorito took over, ran the team uh, the rest of the game, and then, of course, the way that it ended. Uh, unfortunately for the Fisher Cats, but I think a lot good uh, we have seen this week, and we know the potential 
that this New Hampshire team has going into the second half of the season. We've talked a lot about the starters with Steve Goldberg and Gareth Kwok over our last few episodes, but I also want to talk about some of the high leverage bullpen arms that are in the back end of that pen for Cesar Martin that he can call upon with the game on the line. Some guys that we got to know very well over this season here in Vancouver, Mason Fluharty, TJ Brock, Connor Cook, some guys who are coming out strong late. What's your impression been of those guys and maybe some guys who have been with the Cats for the entire season who you can count on when the game is on the line in those latter innings? Well, I certainly have to be impressed with Brock, right? He got rocked a little bit in his very first double-A start, so just ignore the ERA, but he has uh, been terrific uh, coming out of the bullpen. And as you alluded to with Fluharty, the old shake and bake, right? The uh, Fluharty has been the ideal setup guy, and he's the one lefty that we have in our bullpen. Cook has been exceptional as well. So you talk about those arms, and now Fitz Stadler has joined. And he has looked very much like a guy who uh, is not going to spend a whole lot of time at double A. He is back. He is consistent. So obviously healthy. And uh, he's been able to help the Fisher cats. We got a huge inning from Juan Nunez at the end of the game last night that got it around. Troy Watson was asked to go three out of the bullpen last night. And he was good. And Hernandez, Adrian Hernandez still has terrific stuff. He's just been a little bit off in terms of command Maybe it's it's cost him in a couple of his appearances, but you're right. When not only are the Fisher Cat starters going longer in games this year than they did last year, it isn't even close how much better the starting rotation is. But the bullpen is solid, and you know the summer said folks said, well, where did this pitching staff came from? And I, they've been here the whole time. Uh, we've just been a little inconsistent offensively, and we we didn't win some games along the way, or we would have been right in this pennant race with Portland and Somerset. Uh, that makes the second half prospects for the Cats that much more exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there will be a couple of other new recruits, if you will, coming up from High A Vancouver in the next couple of weeks. A guy who rel- joined relatively recently, lefty Trenton Wallace, roughed up a little bit in that last start uh, in downtown Manchester last week. We were watching that out here in Vancouver uh, prior to our game and also watching his double-A debut two weeks prior to that. What have you seen from the crafty lefty who certainly has the stuff to succeed at the highest level, but is still getting his feet wet in the upper minors? Yeah, and now he's on the injured list. So right. uh, they, they've kind of they've put a pause on Wallace uh, a little bit here. It kind of leaves us in a, an open hole tonight. So Luis Quinones is going to start the game against uh, Somerset when we get going at uh, 7.05. Uh, I like what I've seen of, of Wallace. I really love what I've seen from Chad Dallas. Oh, yeah in particular. Uh, and when you talk about those two young guys being added to the rotation, um, Wallace, I think, is, to me, uh, advanced for the double-A level. I love the way that he can work to set up hitters and to put them away. And he doesn't have a whole lot more polish to get through here at double-A. I think he just needs some innings. It's interesting seeing these college arms. Of course, Wallace out of Iowa, where he was pitcher of the year in the conference. First time Iowa had had a pitcher be that in some time. And then, of course, Chad Dallas coming out of Tennessee. That's almost like a a professional baseball player factory these days with the way the volunteers have been performing across their regular season and the postseason. Chad's last start was at six and two-thirds this week, and I think he gave up maybe two hits, and a solo home run was the only run that he gave up just – Time and time again, Cheese going out there and just dominating with his entire pitch mix. And he doesn't blow hitters away. Right. There's a lot of called strike threes. 
that that high spin rate uh, guys take big rips and the ball slowly rolls to second base. So it is, uh, it's a different kind of pitcher to watch and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch as he gets to the next couple of levels here and to see how this all plays out for him. A couple of guys on the offensive side who also man the left side of the infield, Leo Jimenez and Orelvis Martinez. Let's give the O update because of course that is the guy who a lot of Blue Jays fans are hanging their future hopes on in terms of providing that pop in the heart of the Blue Jays order a few seasons from now. We know all about his struggles with hitting for average, but it seems like he has turned the corner, making more contact, getting on base more often. He's drawing his walks. And of course, the uh, single season franchise record holder for homers continuing to hit just absolute bombs. I think he's what one home run still off of the Eastern League lead, right? He has 16. So uh, 16, I think it is a 46 in his career, 30 last year. And I read a, a Yahoo sports article this morning, which was projecting where and when uh, he, he will be in the major leagues. The thought was next year is probably his triple a year and they're going to develop him at third base would be the most likely place, right? With Bo Bichette, probably the long-term shortstop. They'd need a Elvis at third base. If the Blue Jays don't sign Chapman back, we'll see how that all plays out. It is totally a, uh, a much improved product offensively for Elvis Martinez since the beginning of the month of June, Zick. I can't tell you the plate discipline has been terrific. He's been drawing walks. He's been powering the ball to right center and right field, uh, much more aware of situations in games. And instead of always just stepping up and trying to hit the three run home where he looks a lot more like a team offensive player here to try to help the Fisher cats build big innings. Uh, no, he struggled a little bit last night. Didn't quite get the good at bats. Fisher guys didn't get many good at bats in the ball game last night or they would have won it. But uh, I love what I'm seeing from Aurelvis Martinez right now. And then let me segue that because I think Leo Jimenez is has all the potential to be a big league infielder as well. I like everything that I see from him. And then, right, you go in the box score last night, you had two errors. Uh, and again, it was rushed throws deep in the hole. You try to make a play on something and the ball scoots by the first baseman. Um, plate appearances, he's totally comfortable at the plate. The fact that he's hitting nearly 300 in his first half year at the AA level for a team that's hitting 230 on average tells you all you need to know about that regard. And uh, we'll uh, we'll see how this plays out for Jimenez. But you're you're right. I, the Blue Jays are developing really good ones there in Jimenez. And Araldo, uh, or Elvis Martinez has not in any way been slowed. It seems like if the Blue Jays minor league system is a hose, right now the basketball that's going through the hose is between high A and double A. Lots of talent, lots of those ranked prospects, but just lots of guys who have that raw potential who are now trying to figure it out. And certainly it's been fun to keep track of what's been going on with my former team, the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, as they've been having a lot of fun and get ready to really make a push in the second half because I feel like between the guys who've been there since the start of the year as well as the guys coming up from Vancouver, really coming together, coalescing, gelling well, it seems like a team that's having a lot of fun. Yeah, and, you know, it was a first half. You know, when you took a look at the opening roster and you saw Ricky Tiedemann was – going to be a part of our rotation as well. You you really were excited about where this team has been. 
Uh, Adam Klofenstein continues to pitch very well. Uh, Jimmy Robbins gave us another six, actually his first six inning outing of the year last night kept uh, Somerset off balance. I keep wanting to call him Trenton. (laughs) (laughs) It pops into my broadcast every now and then, but that's what happens when you've been doing this for two decades. And that's who the Yankees were. And the ballparks look so similar to one another that, the one that we play in here in Bridgewater and, and the one in Trenton. Um, and as I mentioned, we'll get Kononis tonight. We'll see Sem on Sunday. And at some point he's got to get a win uh, because he's pitched so well and just, you know, it doesn't show in the win column, but they don't, they don't worry about that with starters anymore, do they? The, the one loss record, just tell you to just ignore that. Just go out, do your thing, keep the yeah. ERA low. And you know what, if things don't go your way, the individual stats will bear out. Now, before we say goodbye, Bob, as always, let us know how we can keep up to date with the Fisher Cats and how we can tune into your broadcast as they wrap up the series with Somerset over the course of this weekend and then get back to Club Ned, Delta Dental Stadium in downtown Manchester next week. Yeah, huge one with Portland. The final trip in for the Sea Dogs in the regular season will be the opening series of the second half of the season that starts next Wednesday night. We'll carry it through to the Monday fireworks uh, show for Atlas fireworks shows coming up. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun and nhfishercats.com. Uh, you'll find the link there to our uh, video uh, stream from the home and also on uh, the radio. We're still on WGIR and uh, Fisher cats on Twitter and Facebook. Bob Lippman, as always, so great to see you, my friend. Long time no see, but good to get you here on The Nest. And most importantly, go Cats. Thanks, Zick, and congrats on your uh, first half championship. And uh, send us some good ones. Uh, we will certainly do so, indeed. we got to keep a few so we can try and get that fifth Northwest League title since becoming a Blue Jays affiliate. But, Bob, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. This has been another edition of Around the Nest. Certainly a great one today. Of course, missing out on AAA Buffalo's Pat Malacaro, but he will be back in our next edition. But for my co-hosts, Bob Lippman and Chris Valentine, this is Tyler Zickel saying, Go Blue Jays.